Hey everybody, this is Greg. Before we get to today's episode, which was really fun, I just wanted to give you a heads up that we had some connectivity problems and you're going to notice the audio quality change uh, partway through the episode, but it's it's totally worth hanging in there for. Okay. Welcome to the WAN Manager Podcast. I am your host, Greg Bryan, and this is the show where we talk to networking experts about the data services that make business possible. So a topic that comes up often on the show and is certainly top of mind for, for anyone who's uh, likely listening to this show is the, the general uh, trend of the WAN moving away from private networks like MPLS and towards reliance on public internet and kind of weighing the costs and benefits of, of that change. So although it's certainly always been the case that WAN managers need to stay on top of global internet performance uh, for managing a global network, um, outages or, and whatnot have always been important. I think it's increasingly crucial um, uh, in the, the internet first WAN era that we find ourselves in to understand what's happening out there in the world of internet. So to dive deeply into this topic and how global events, whether they're natural or human caused, uh, might impact the internet and performance, um, I am very pleased to welcome uh, the veritable leading expert on this topic, Doug Midori, who is Director of Internet Analysis at Kentech. Welcome, Doug. Hey, glad to be here. Yeah, so um, Doug, you've become the sort of go-to guy in in the press for internet outages and performance uh, interruptions. Um, I, I want to uh, see if maybe you could take us through how you got to be that guy uh, through your history of starting in uh, the U.S. Air Force, going through Renaissance, and and now up to uh, what you're doing at Kentech. Um, yeah. So let's see. Uh, there certainly wasn't a plan. I, I, I to some extent, a little bit. It never is, right? The, the best things are, yeah. are just what happens, right? So, yeah. Um, so let's see. Uh, I'll, I'll try to briefly recap. Uh, so I went to, I did my undergrad at the University of Virginia uh, on an ROTC scholarship to pay for school. And after that, I was in, I went to the U.S. Air Force as a communications officer. And uh, I was probably there. So my degree was in computer engineering, but I would say the first assignment I had with that was at the Information Warfare Center in uh, San Antonio, Texas, was mm -hmm. where I got into networking uh, quite a bit. And um, I kind of felt like um, this was uh, this was fun and this is something I could spend a lot of time doing. And um, I did a good job at that job and then got rewarded with a command position. I was in charge of um, uh, a, uh, a tactical communications unit of 55 enlisted guys. That's 20, 24 in charge of wow. all these people. And then we in, in were... Tactical means you were out there in the stuff, right? <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so, so for the for the Air Force, there's a lot of in the communications world. Um, there's a lot of what they call fixed com, which means this is like the base IT shop. And actually, then for people who want to just have a career in uh, tech, that's uh, often where you want to try to go. Um, mm -hmm. the, other, the other side is tactical com, where you are on the hook to deploy somewhere at a moment's notice, and right. you've got completely different equipment uh, that's in you know, green transit cases. You're going to be loaded onto a plane uh, and drop somewhere, and uh, it's a it's much more like being in the army than uh, yeah, uh, right. the, uh, the chair force. Air force gets derisively yeah. uh, referred to, but um, so I I spent three years. Uh, as a uh, 
uh, yeah, an officer and a, uh, a unit that was deployable. Uh, in the end, we ended up uh, going to Iraq uh, and we uh, yeah, set up the uh, long range uh, radar uh, and air control communications uh, infrastructure uh, in 2003, 2004, uh, mm -hmm. initially in Baghdad and then in Balad when they relocated the, uh, the, the air base there. Anyway, but that was um, uh, that was my uh, introduction to uh, understanding, trying to work in the space of, of networking. Um, I decided I wanted to stay in the technical uh, space, and I was kind of on a career path for senior officer officership. Uh, figured I I worked enough with senior officers to know that that's probably not what I wanted. Um, so it's you wanted to, to, to stay just, in one place for one thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, actually, I don't mind the moving so much. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's you're the more leadership you're doing, uh, the less you're hands on, uh, right, doing right. technical stuff, and that's super satisfying. I spent a lot of time, you know, getting trying to get good at that, and uh, that's what I wanted to um, get back to. So I went back to graduate school, um, and then a couple of couple of uh, Steps later, I start with a, 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 star, a startup um, called Renesis that was mm -hmm. a small uh, small company that was in town and um, kind of by accident um, got connected with them. One of the founders was a social uh, friend of my advisor at graduate school at Dartmouth mm -hmm. and um, mm -hmm. reached out to him. And then uh, I got there and I was like, wow, this is really neat. Like you, um, I had no idea such a thing existed. Uh, I never would have yeah. sat out. Uh, and so the the Renesis group was uh, collecting BGP data, uh, doing analysis on it, and basically they would collect data from uh, telecoms around the world, process it, try to figure out the insights out of it, and then sell those insights back to the people who gave us the data. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, I was going to say, I, I remember Renesis from those days. I mean, you guys have always been kind of, uh, we're, we're adjacent to what we were doing at Telegeography. I, I've never worked on our global internet geography product, but... I, enough, you know, running into folks from Renesis at conferences and whatnot, it seemed pretty closely aligned. It was always, it was we always doing, a, you know? a very, yeah. there was a very, there's a very uh, friendly relationship between telegeography yeah. and Renesis. Co-opetition. Co yeah. 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 yeah I mean, we were, we, we were very yeah. complimentary. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, and then, so my counterparts were like Alan Malden and Tim Strong. Right. So they're exactly. uh, these guys at conferences. And um, it's fun to talk to other people who really, geek out on the, the the space but in in from their perspective that's different than right. my perspective you mm -hmm. guys cover different things and we have we so I, at times there was actually uh, some discussions between the companies of would one yeah, acquire the other crossover. uh is yeah there, exactly yeah was there some way to co-sell there was like we had a, actually had meetings to try to figure out like gosh we're so complimentary um mm -hmm. is there some way that we can kind of work together and the end those things are hard to pull off and yeah it just wasn't there wasn't a way to, easy way mm -hmm. to do it um that everybody felt good about and um in the meantime we just remained the best of friends uh through the years right. and <laughs> um uh yeah i'm still in uh, touch with uh, tim and alan uh, quite a bit Anyway, yeah, so then uh, Renesis uh, was one thing that we did that was something that I didn't uh, start, but I kind of inherited was that uh, as, a, uh, as a PR strategy, instead of hiring a, a PR firm or anything, the, the, this is a little company, it's less than 30 people, uh, would just try to uh, see if we could use all the data that we've got to comment on world events. And uh, mm -hmm. one of our founders, Jim Cowie, was... Um, 
uh, kind of a student of the world in many ways, just an incredibly smart guy. And, um, and he had kind of figured out how to um, relate these things in an interesting way uh, with really our data and our products. We were in a great position to uh, understand a lot of things that were going on around the world in a way that people hadn't really gotten into doing that. Uh, yeah, could, could you flesh that out a little bit? Global. Like how did how did what you were collecting because you're, you're collecting these data at Renesis for the purpose of kind of selling them back to ISPs and whatnot. How does that translate into something that you can then sort of explain to the lay population about what's going on with the Internet? Yeah, the best example was uh, our early high watermark was uh, in the Arab Spring and the Egypt shutdown. Uh, so mm -hmm. we were on top of that story and uh, and actually uh, when they when they pulled the plug in January, let's see, 2011, we had we already because we had to do this for our products, we could pull up any country, understand all the transit relationships, how they change second by second, mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. then uh, something like something historic like that takes place, and it we've already got it all mapped out, and so like all right, well right. Then let's let's start. Um, so actually, Jim, as this went was happening, he's like put on a call in the company, like, everybody, uh, battle stations, like I need help. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. I was, I was the main person who was doing analysis. So I was in the best position to try to help him. And, um, and so I spent like the first couple of years of my time there, basically shadowing him and his, uh, the analysis that he did, uh, and, uh, and trying to make new, um, uh, functionality, try to expedite our ability to, mm -hmm. uh, understand some sort of event, but you know, like we, uh, yeah, we had to improve upon, um, uh, everything was very manual for Egypt. And then after that, we started to automate some of these uh, processes, mm. but that was, mm -hmm. that was a case where we knew we had, we did a lot of work for geolocation to know where, uh, IP addresses should be, what are the relationships, how do they change? Um, uh, and then we made, you know, a lot of graphics every other day we were in some top shelf, uh, uh, media like New York times on, on that incident, just helping them make mm -hmm. graphs and, um, uh, anyway, so that was that was our an early, you know, like I said, a high watermark for for world attention. And then um, as that kept going, by the end of by the end of that, maybe in June, when Syria had their first uh, government directed outage uh, related to the uh, uh, Arab Spring, then uh, uh, we started to get media calls. And uh, Jim was busy also running the company, and he'd be like, "Well, if right, you want to take right. it, just go ahead and you know, we'll, we'll give you some tips on how to." Uh, do this and so then after a while I kind of got my own voice there and um, mm -hmm. and I will always be grateful that he was always very uh, generous to share the limelight I mean it was it was right. his company he had developed all these relationships he had developed this this tactic um, and he and if he never shared it with me I never would have held it against him because this is right, uh, right. Yeah. I'm, yeah I'm a new yeah. guy Right. I don't have any, like, I'm, I'm just happy to be there. Uh, mm -hmm. And, um, and so then uh, over time, he, uh, uh, I started to gain more of that uh, kind of, uh, kind of work. And then he eventually wanted to head out and start another company, which he did. And, mm -hmm. um, and then I just took it over a hundred percent. And then without being burdened by running the company, going to board meetings and doing all the, all the other stuff, I just need right. to focus on this. Right. Um, and we, have, we then got acquired by Dine. Dine was loved. To get this kind of attention so we mm -hmm. got rebranded as dine research and just and so at that point so from a technological kind of standpoint you're still using the same methodology as as you had been is uh more or less yeah everything kind of 
yeah. we were always trying to improve upon it, but um, mm-hmm. uh, definitely BGP based. We ran a crap load of trace routes around the world. We had this global infrastructure system of hundreds of servers running, uh, uh, each one running, you know, a million or two uh, trace routes. So that's the automated part. You're no longer running trace routes yourself. You're, you, you've written yeah, some software so to do it. This is, yeah. this is a, this is just generating, you know, we're generating hundreds and hundreds of millions of trace routes a day. And then mm-hmm. we had an, uh, uh, the guys built, uh, we had a Hadoop cluster to process this. I the guys had built me, the engineers had built me a, a nice uh, a query system so I could kind of specify like everything that you, you could imagine of like at this time from this location that went through this other city that did all the, you know, like, uh, grabbing all the traces from two years ago that fit all these requirements. And that way that and we could look at when there's some sort of a, a routing mishap. So that's kind of one of the uh, key technical areas of my uh, career in the last decade is just documenting and understanding routing leaks, routing hijacks, we right. could then pull, go to the trace routes and look at, like, is there, did any of those get sucked in and what could that tell us? Like, did it, um, did it look like the traffic continued on to the destination or not? Right. Now I can't think we've got tons of NetFlow data uh, and that's something I've, I've never had before, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Yes, yes, indeed. Well, that I mean, that's that's pretty much where I was, where I was going next, which is, you know, so that, that history of Renesis through Dyn, and then at Kentic, we, uh, as you as you know, we had uh, Avi Friedman uh, from Kentic on on the show before and talked about monitoring as it would affect kind of the enterprise network, right? From that that perspective, but um, how did your tool then uh, or your sort of methodology that you brought in uh, end up working with with the uh, tools that Kentic has deployed out there, or, or is it still something kind of separate from that? Um, I mean, it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing thing. It, right. it never, it never stops. Uh, I mean, it never yes. stopped really. At, um, I mean, that's what uh, makes it fun, right? So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I guess what's neat about it is that um, I have quite a bit of history now with a lot of places in the world of uh, just trying to see if we could tell the story in our data about, you know, like when we had uh, as an example. Uh, so in January there was the undersea volcano that exploded uh, mm. on the coast of Tonga, taking out Tonga. Tonga. Right. Well, um, I um, I have been following closely the submarine cable industry. So it's kind of uh, how I uh, overlap with uh, uh, telegeography. I was going to uh, say near and dear to our heart. Very yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, and so then I know when I first started Renesis, I got asked like, hey, we got quite get a lot of questions about submarine cables. Uh, can you just try to see if we can figure out how do we see this? How do we how can we see this in our data? Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, so that was something I was kind of always always working on, and then um, started to uh, uh, um, yeah, I'd follow like the press releases, I'd follow like the comms mm-hmm. update of telegeography, and yeah. just feel like yeah. all right, every time they announce something, can I see it in the data? And often it would be. Um, it would often be months later that you'd actually see this. I was um, going to say, I would expect that. Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, even once, yeah, once the cable is lit, then you start slowly selling service. People start slowly migrating their traffic over to that cable. Right. Yeah. Nobody's a liar. It's just right. that uh, just because the cable is you know, RFS ready for service uh, doesn't mean it's presently carrying traffic. Yeah, right. then there's like contract negotiations, there's all kinds of mm-hmm. things that have nothing to do with technical uh, things. The right. cable could for sure be up and ready to go. But uh, but then we would see like when when do they actually start uh, carrying traffic? And I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's a good insight. Like these things are, there's a little bit of a decoupling. Um, mm-hmm. But um but anyway, so then my maybe my first uh, big submarine cable story was the uh, uh, 
the submarine cable getting activated for Cuba. And so oh, in the course Alba, of, uh, yeah, yeah, I vaguely one, remember that. Yeah. And, yeah. January. That's a while ago too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, uh, yeah. So then I, in the course of just trying to get smart on submarine cables, I came across the, that there, there was this mystery, you know, around this cable that had been built from Venezuela. Mm-hmm. And so just a back, a little bit of background there. So due to the embargo, uh, you know, there, there had been no cables laid to Cuba. There had been added a, an exclusion uh, to the embargo that would allow, in theory, someone to land a cable. Nobody That's right. Still uh, oh, would... Obama administration changed the rules pretty significantly. They there. did I add a, they working through that. Yeah. Yep. That's correct. So they, the Obama administration added something to allow that, although no one uh, took them up on it uh, in part because the embargo is so so punitive uh, that you just want exactly. to steer way yeah, clear of that. Yeah, and they and the market. lawyers, they yeah, exactly. It's not worth yeah, it. Yeah, I'm sure there's yeah, there's risk managers saying like, you know what, it's just it don't even worry about it. <laughs> like mm-hmm. uh, it may be allowed, but uh, you just want to stay away from this. Anyway, so so the Venezuelan government um, allied with the Cuban government said we're going to save you guys because they were completely reliant on satellite, like geostationary right. satellite. So the problems there are you know, the latency is super high, the capacity is very low, the cost is usually cost, pretty high. Yeah, like absolutely, everything's bad uh, if your country's reliant on uh, geostationary satellite for all of its communication. Um, so the Venezuelan government said, well, we'll put up the money. We'll build a cable. Uh, they hired Alcatel, came over, uh, uh, built a cable from the coast of Venezuela to Cuba. Uh, and then they said it was done. And then Which geographically years, makes no sense whatsoever. A hundred miles from Napa, the Americas, like the biggest IX for the whole of, you know, the, the Southern Americas. Uh, yes. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, on top of that, it's yeah. also so Cuba is a very long uh, east-west uh, country, right. like hundreds of miles. Uh, I think people don't always appreciate just how big, how long that place is. And so the mm-hmm. uh, so Havana's on one end, on the west end, the west western side, and on the coast right. facing the Florida. Uh, right. That's where most people live. The submarine yeah. cable landed on the opposite end of the entire <laughs> island, yeah. uh, Sydney Beach, yeah. uh, and so that um, anyway. So then that ended up being a. Uh, I came to learn after a trip to Cuba, meeting the project manager who did this, uh, that that was uh, part of part of what led to the delay. But anyway, they built the cable. Mm-hmm. Uh, it became the subject of fascination for the cottage industry of Cuba watchers. And I just kind of stumbled into this story. I was like, oh, well, that's right. kind of uh, interesting. I, I wonder if I could um, uh, figure out when this cable uh, comes active. And then I, right. I ran into across the, the blog of uh, Larry Press, who's a professor out in California, who um, was writing about this and and I guess long long story short I, I set something up in one of our tools and I'm like all right well if there's new some new transit into Cuba send me an email uh, and I'll uh, right. uh, I'll check it out and I didn't get that until like I think it was like 18 months later that that email oh wow uh, yeah it was a long time later uh, I got an email it was like oh Telefonica is a new transit provider for Texas I'm like wow like that's not a satellite provider necessarily mm-hmm. I'll uh, check it out the latencies work had to be shorter and it being, ended up being a big story and then uh the cuban government actually confirmed it which was uh, uh kind of wild but uh anyway so so that that was my first foray into telling 
submarine cable uh, stories with our data. Right. But uh, yeah. But anyway, I brought this up because of Tonga. So then, I, like any kind of announcement, again, I'm following mm -hmm. the geography to learn of these announcements. Um, and Tonga, you know, made, uh, when they were getting their submarine cable, I was following that story as well and trying to see, could I see when this uh, came active? And sure enough, I spotted it when it came active. I could pinpoint the exact second of the day that uh, the mm -hmm. service switched over from uh, geostationary satellite to uh, submarine cable to the late season. It's a dramatic improvement. Um, Anyway, so I was familiar with the background of the cable, and so then right. when there was this uh, uh, undersea volcano uh, uh, that knocked out knocked out the island, uh, islands communication was uh, yeah. Then I was like, oh, I I know a little about this. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, wrote, written about it, I think I uh, spoke about it at presentations in the past. And, uh, yeah. So anyway, so I uh, on some of these, having been just been around for a while, uh, I've. Uh, uh, I've touched on quite a few stories in different countries uh, over the years. Yeah, well, I mean, that brings me to, you know, it's not very often on the WAN Manager podcast. We, we have kind of a, a laser beam focus of a theme on this show. It's not very often we get to talk about, like, what's literally going on in the world right now. But I take it uh, you've probably had a lot to do over the past few weeks here. We're recording this uh, at the end of March, so it's been about, what, a month since uh, uh, Russia got... Uh, uh, disconnected from various um, ISPs and uh, obviously physical infrastructure is down in Ukraine. What uh, what have you been seeing there? And has that uh, brought you back back into the uh, the real media as opposed to this uh, insider baseball kind of stuff here? Yeah, uh, I, I prefer this stuff. I prefer this stuff. Yeah, um, <laughs> I mean, so I mean me too. Short. Here I'm doing it right. Now. Yeah, so, this yeah. is this is the kind of thing yeah. I listen to. Um, yeah, but anyway. Uh, yeah, so the last month has been pretty busy for me. Uh, like I normally, there's mm -hmm. something, you know, like say, let's say Tonga in January. You know, there's press around that. Yeah, man, and, what a what a year uh, so far. <laughs> but then, but then, uh, but then a, a month might go by. There's nothing. I've got other work to right. do. You know, we've got right. some of the things I do here uh, at, at Kensic. Um, and uh, so then, this uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine has been a kind of nonstop. Uh, uh, it's a big global story, and uh, uh, lots of you know. Lots of global implications where the, here. The internet is really playing like a central role. I mean, obviously, it's 2022, so you'd expect that anyway. But the, the, that has really been kind of front and center for a lot of like the mainstream stories about the you know the war. Absolutely, I, you said it. I think I think that's so. That's something that has been a bit of a a bit of a theme uh, over the last couple of weeks. I mean, I'm I'm doing a little bit of the play by play of outages. I'm not trying to keep mm -hmm. up with every one of them. We we have right. some data. I just I, don't, I can't. I'm, I'm one I'm one guy. I got other things to do. I, I that's right. Yeah. I try to pick out. I, I, try to I know that feeling that well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but it is a theme that like um uh you know the que there's questions around like oh why did uh, why did Russia uh, not target or maybe they targeted it and they were ineffective of taking out all the communications of Ukraine mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it's it's true that uh, you know the Ukrainian internet is a whole lot more re resilient than Cuba or North Korea or something tiny I mean it's, it's a European right. nation with a lot of fiber, fiber backbone and between all the cities terrestrial is you know submarine yeah, cables are focused in a very specific place it's easy to take those out but terrestrial is much more diffuse you know yeah and it, I mean I would say it's not infinite I mean if someone, of course, of course. You know, if they really yeah. were dedicated uh, to run some sort of op to try to take out uh, you know core fiber lines like yeah, yeah I guess eventually you find all the central offices that can't be that hard right you yeah know, so, uh, you know. take them out yeah. so 
it's it's not uh it's not, not impossible, to give them ideas but it's, but... <laughs> yeah right i mean people have already thought of i'm sure but um but anyway the service has been up and that's been a uh i think a, a defining aspect of this conflict because yeah absolutely uh, you've got president Zelensky making recording right. videos uh that are you've seen around the world and uh coalescing the west and the rest of the world in support of uh their you know, defense of their country uh and then mm -hmm. and then you know, you've got we've got recorders in country that are just using mobile networks and their iPhones to uh, record uh, their, do their reporting. Uh, there's, there's a lot of uh, reports that the Russian military as well is dependent on the Ukrainian infrastructure. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, so I mean, I don't have a way to confirm that part. I'm just reading that like everyone you, else. You can't um, do deep pack an inspection and see what, what has a Russian uh, sort of uh, headers or whatever. Right? So, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm, uh, that's not what we do. Yeah. Um, but um there's there's uh, someone yeah, this, uh probably in in dc where, where i am doing probably, that right actually that's somebody's project <laughs> yeah, actually, that's yeah. somebody's job yeah. they're having a meeting right now about doing yes. that kind of thing that's not at all yeah. i don't want to give everybody the wrong impression that's right not you're just seeing traffic do. you don't know uh, what it is yeah yeah uh we say netflow i don't even see the traffic right so i just right, know records right. of some right. this many bits went from here to a to b i don't mm -hmm. we don't we don't know what those what was uh, included inside that or anything but right. um uh, and uh, anyway, so then, uh, yeah, I would say there's been obviously been lots of outages. There's the city of Mariupol that's been under siege. That their service has been uh, completely out uh, for almost mm -hmm. the entire month. Uh, uh, but for the most part, the country's stayed online, and uh, it's been that important. Uh, maybe you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's a footnote or something more than that. It's a, it's an important aspect. Yeah, of, that, uh, yeah. I mean, it seems conflict. like more than a footnote. Yeah, absolutely. But now, since it's since it's a newsworthy kind of item, what do you think uh, Starlink or Skynet, as I like to call them, <laughs> played any real role in that? I mean, I, I don't know that you can see that, but it, it presume their traffic's going to to uh, IXs in Europe, right? So, uh, or uh, ultimately, it might be something that you uh, can at least see whether there's there's additional uh, uh, net flow where they're they're uh, pointing their Leos, right? So, what's what's tricky is. Uh... The answer is kind of no. Uh, I don't mm -hmm. have visibility into Starlink. So this is a closed system. If you have a dish at your oh, house, gotcha. either here mm -hmm. or in Ukraine, um, then it's just going to be in the pool of, of uh, right. Starlink traffic. And they're not, uh, maybe internally they've got, uh, they'll decorate those uh, flows with uh, the geolocation of where people are, but that's not mm -hmm. public knowledge. So right. I would say that the we're tracking basically the main telecoms that, ex, that were in existence mm -hmm. uh, prior to the conflict, um, and see that they are online, still uh, exchanging traffic. I mean, there was a large outage with uh, Ukraine Telecom yesterday. It seems like they're back online. Mm -hmm. Reports were that they were this was due to a, a cyber attack of some sort. Uh, mm. So um, not a physical infrastructure can... attack like DDoS or something like yeah. No, there's been a couple of uh, well, so yeah, not not physical. There's been fiber cuts and we can see those both go down and then come back mm -hmm. um i checked i didn't see any ddos usually we can see ddos attacks because mm -hmm. it just shows up in the net flow this is a massive right. you know right uh flood of traffic yeah. it'll, it'll it won't be hard to find uh in the kind of data that we have um i didn't see any uh ddos attacks mm -hmm. i mean that still leaves open a million and one possible right. things that could fit right. under cyber right. attack i don't know uh if they'll ever uh get um, more detailed in their explanation mm -hmm. uh, but there's been a couple mm -hmm. of those uh i think triolon was another national fix uh, uh broadband provider that claimed that they had been uh attacked uh, there was some sort of cyber attack they uh, i think in each case the provider 
claim that they were taking the services down themselves uh, to remediate and bringing it back up. Um, again, all, all we can see mm -hmm. is them going offline and coming back. Uh, right, right. It, whatever is actually happening on the ground is is uh, opaque to you, but you just see the effects of, of that, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, but then, uh, you know, the, so then the other side of this conflict is Russia, which is also experiencing lots of lots of stuff as a consequence of the conflict. Right. Driven by the ISPs, driven by uh, the part that I know is driven by ISPs or backbone providers. Is there anything else like? Uh, yeah. So let me let me address that one, because that one's kind of a became a kind of a funky story uh, because mm -hmm. uh, so this is the backbone providers. The story came out. We had caught wind of um, so a few weeks ago that Cogent had sent emails out to the uh, many of the telecom, their telecom customers in Russia saying, your service is getting cut tomorrow. Uh, here's the instructions mm -hmm. for returning equipment. And, you know, like that, like wow. this is the end. And uh, a pretty it's an un unusual and, uh, move historically, definitely. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and yeah. You know, kind of started off in, in light of the invasion. I think mm -hmm. it was some, uh, ampli you know, question of like, uh, Maybe they they are not going to be able to get paid anymore. <laughs> um, uh, so there's a genuine concern, uh, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. service is over, and um, uh, now, uh, so that seems I I'm not aware. I've been doing this for a little while. There's been wars in the time that I've been uh, doing this, uh, and I haven't heard of a backbone provider just electing to mm -hmm. uh, just cut off all its customers in the country. Um, yeah. Uh, at that scale, at that scale, and um, right. Anyway, so that was that was newsworthy. We kind of coordinated with the Washington Post a little bit on that story, and then uh, the CEO of Cogent gave an interview to the Washington Post to confirm it, um, give the rationale, and then uh, and then say you know, some of the customers may ask for more time to disconnect. We saw a couple mm -hmm. of disconnections, and then and then it kind of stopped. And uh, and one of the companies, uh, Vion, aka Vimplecom, aka Beeline, uh, that had mm -hmm. been cut off on that by that deadline, came back the following week. Um, I guess my understanding is that they worked out a way to get paid out of their parent company based out of uh, Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so then it just got it ended up getting kind of muddied. And the following week, also Lumen made uh, a, kind of a uh, kind of a complicated announcement relating to Russia as well that mm -hmm. they have you know very little service in the country, but they're taking steps to immediately leave uh, the the region. Was the way they termed it. I was going to uh, say Lumen would be more directly like. And a backbone provider than an ISP, so they might be picking up like Eastern European ISP traffic and bring it into the rest of Europe, right? But not necessarily selling IP transit in Russia, right? So, um, I mean, they both cogent Lumen, uh, they would both be doing the same thing mm -hmm. if they're selling mm -hmm. transit. Right. Now, the it seemed like they kind of went uh, from the reporters that were trying to cover this and ask me questions and uh, relay their. Uh, frustrations at getting a, a clear answer out of uh, Lumen for a couple of days. Uh, they, I, I kind of eventually, I, I heard that they, they, were, they weren't really clarifying, and then they kind of eventually said, "Look, well, um, we, we never really were providing service in uh, Russia. Right. We were providing service right. in Frankfurt, gotcha. and then they were taking it to mm -hmm. Russia. And that's that's not new. That's been the case for many many years. And so then exactly. the like, well, I'm leaving. I'm leaving this country that I never was actually doing anything in. Yeah, um, it's a weird. Anyway, so almost a way to get being, in the papers. Right? <laughs> so, yeah. I guess. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. I, I don't because so, yeah. I mean, the, then then all the reporting kind of got got confused as a result. Where um, mm -hmm. it was. Uh, hard to understand what it is they were doing and they weren't trying to clarify it anyway so the 
there is now the impression that these two companies left Russia. It is not the case. Uh, they're still gotcha. there. Uh, um, mm-hmm. There's been a couple of disconnections from Cogent, um, and uh, but then they stopped disconnecting uh, Russian customers. So your guess is as good as mine as far as like mm-hmm. what went on to uh, arrest that uh, initiative. Yeah. Well, and and you know, sort of what you were mentioning before with Cuba, this is possibly going to come into play, which. OFAC, you know, the government agency that does embargoes or whatever, if, if our embargo of Russia changes shape a little bit or whatever, it could be that, you know, you have trouble signing contracts between U.S. companies and and their local ISPs to carry, you know, for example, there's there's no, uh, you know, um, backbone providers picking up traffic out of North Korea, which is an actual embargo. Now, as I understand it, you know. Uh, it's not my job to understand this. <laughs> so, this may be, uh, you know, high level, but like presently, Russia isn't an actual embargoed country like uh, North Korea or Cuba would be, where we're all, you know, it's more like entities or companies that are specifically forbidden. But should should it progress to that kind of level, it might actually have a material impact on a lot of telecom providers that didn't sort of get involved in this yet at all. So. Yes, that's like Code Cogen and Lumen are U.S. companies. For anybody listening, it doesn't uh, you know uh, aren't familiar with them. So yeah, they might have just been anticipating something like that. Who knows? Or their lawyers might have gotten scared. Or <laughs> that's always a possibility. Right? You know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I would add that there, there, I don't, there really wasn't anyone clamoring for them to do that to make to, right. Uh, uh, so it was, it was kind of kind of a surprise when we heard about it, and then it ended up not really happening. So anyway, right. so that's one aspect. Hey folks, this is Charles and Lizzie from Telegeography. We have a quick aside before we get back to the show. Are you hiring in the WAN space? It seems like everyone's either looking for their new position or they're trying to desperately hire for their department right now. That's, that's right. And if so, you might want to post your job to WAN Forum. If you haven't checked it out yet, it's a place for those who manage wide area networks and maintain IT infrastructure. I've always found that going to industry-specific job boards tends to have a better success rate and yield a better crop of candidates compared to more general job boards. And that's exactly what we're trying to achieve by adding this new job openings area to the WAN Forum. You can see what it's all about at WANforum.com. If you'd like a position to be posted to this community, shoot us a message at info at WANforum.com. Now back to the show. Uh, the thing that so Russia's been blocking locally a lot of uh, Western right. media and um, right. uh, you know, censoring that um, from there. And there was yeah, and then just yesterday there was a, a BGB hijack of Twitter. That um, essentially what happened here is that um, in in Russia when they when the government orders a um, some sort of a website or uh, media service uh, blocked. Um, they don't have a central technical way to uh, implement that uh, block. Mm-hmm. So they kind of send the order out to the telecoms. They're on their own to um, uh, implement it. And so then you get this uh, piecemeal uh, approach where everybody's on their own. There's all kinds of different uh, techniques. And that um, if someone's interested in more specifics on that, they ought to look at, um, there's a report by, Uni, that's O O N I, the Open Observatory for Network Interference uh, Group related to the Tor Group, and they uh, this is what they exist for is documenting the technical uh, you know, mechanisms for uh, censorship and blocking. They had a good report out of uh, talking about all the stuff that's going on in Russia, 
mm-hmm. the very ways that different networks were doing different blocks. But um, uh, so yesterday, one of the telecoms, um, they may have been doing this for a while, uh, where they were taking the address space of Twitter and uh, announcing it locally for the purpose of black holing it. And uh, but then they leaked this out onto the internet. Uh, it it you know there were there were a handful of uh, telecoms that picked this up. Uh, and for about 45 minutes, they were sending their Twitter traffic to Russia where um, they were just getting black holed. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, the, it's interesting that that same route was that almost the identical thing happened uh, about one calendar year ago out of Myanmar. And so a similar thing happened. Ah, in Myanmar it was a coup at that time, right? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So the military coup began at the beginning of February and the uh, uh, interference on the um, the internet was um, lasted months and had different phases. In fact, you know, it, it's kind of um, uh, they had everything. Uh, the uh, they had an Egypt style pull the plug on everything internet outage. They had a just just turn off the mobile internet data. They had a Twitter a high a hijack uh, a BGB hijack where someone leaked out a uh, a row. Um, I guess the difference between what happened a year ago and just yesterday was that in the, in the intervening time, uh, Twitter um, began signing our routes in RPKI. So this is a, uh, uh, one of the primary mechanisms to try to staunch the effect of uh, either routing leaks or mm. uh, other BGP mishaps. There's a, there's a global system where you essentially attest uh, who is the rightful uh, origin of this address space belonging to you, you're saying it's you. Um, now everybody knows what what's what's truth out there, and right. everything that's not truth gets dropped. And so, uh, as a result, since um, uh, uh, since they implemented uh, RPI, uh, then everybody who is participating in that system would drop the Russian version of the route, and so it really didn't go very far. And um, uh, I put something out about it yesterday. The CISO of Twitter kind of quote tweeted me. Um, and just ah, yeah, a little go. bit, a little bit patting themselves on the back. But you know, right. they, 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 uh, yeah, they, they time, saw a problem a year ago and solved it this time around. Right, right so, they made it better. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's no, there's no, there's no completely removing this. It's never going to go to zero. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so you're just trying to uh, limit and mitigate the effects of this kind of stuff when it happens. But um, mm-hmm. never a dull day. So that's another Russia development. Um, yeah. But every day there's new things. Yeah. So, so you know, to, to kind of wrap that part up, Doug, I'm wondering, like, you know, you know more or less what, what we're doing here on the Win Manager podcast, talking to IT infrastructure managers as I said, kind of in the start of the show, you have this situation where they're relying a lot more on the internet now than they used to, and they used to be in more private networks, private line MPLS and that kind of thing. Um, do, do you think that they should be paying attention to the kind of work that you're doing more closely um, to exactly like you say, that the CISO at Twitter was kind of uh, you know aware of these kinds of uh, um, uh, strategy changes they need to make. Do you think that's going to sort of bleed into the j- more general enterprise world? And there's a reason for them to kind of stay on top of these issues in a, with renewed vigor, if you will. Uh, definitely. So um, I, I think we're very familiar with this transition, like you're describing, of going from uh, kind of lease lines to relying on the internet, and then how do you how do you uh, uh, hedge your bets there? And so we we had a long the Renesis had a long. Uh, 
commercial relationship with a large financial institution that was moving a lot of their connections from lease lines to the internet and they wanted to know mm-hmm. um, all right this is going to save us a, a huge amount of money but we want to add our bets like what can we do to uh, keep tabs on because uh, the internet is not a guaranteed thing right um, uh, it's a best effort and usually it works, but, um, uh, so then you'd want to instrument that with monitoring. So I'm a B2B guy. I would definitely plug, uh, you know, monitoring, uh, your routes, the routes of the, uh, your business partners and clients that you're spending, uh, spending a lot of traffic with, uh, to ensure that there's not, um, a lot of times there's just mistakes. I mean, it's not, not everything's like a an evil Hollywood scenario. There's, there's plenty right, of, right. Uh, bonehead yeah. errors that uh, creep up and someone uh, messed up some routing tables or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. Uh, I guess the other thing that I would um, encourage anybody uh, listening to this podcast is to, if you haven't already have your company uh, invest some time in uh, uh, understanding the RPI system and how you can be a part of it. So there's, mm-hmm. um, uh, so there's two sides of it. One is, um, like what Twitter did yesterday was, uh, uh, or they had they had done prior in the, in the intervening time between the last incident and yesterday, was that they had um, signed their routes. So basically, they just went into it's an American company. So Aaron, the Ameri- uh, A-R-I-N, uh, is the registry of North America. They went into the system and, and signed up, uh, created ROAs, which are route uh, origin authorizations. Say what is the proper origin for these uh, routes? That enables everyone else on the internet to then enforce the rule that you just made. But if you never do that, no one can help you. Um, so you have to so, broadcast your route sort of out there into the world, uh, so, yeah, so that others will be aware. You're, of it. you're telling the system what is the correct state of things, um, mm-hmm. and it's a fairly simple thing. The harder step is uh, is, the, is the other side of it. Of when you receive routes, you want to drop those that are invalid. That involves uh, your uh, your routers have to take action. They have to be have a, a, a timely feed of this information. Um, that one's a little bit more involved from an engineering standpoint. Um, it's worth doing, uh, but uh, um, but the first one of just telling like uh, uh, your your registrar like who is the rightful origin. Uh, that ought to be a pretty easy uh, thing to do, and that enables the whole global system to try to look out for you. Um, and so that I would recommend it's worth your time to um, uh, to set that up. Yeah. And now, it, so then this this whole system has been growing. Um, it's been many years in in the works, and it's like any kind of distributed uh, security mechanism. It it relies on widespread adoption right. and a lot of cajoling and people trying to sell this thing as um, mm-hmm. as useful. And it's only in the last couple of years that the Major tier one telecoms just started uh, dropping invalids and enforcing these uh, rules. Uh, the major content providers, uh, Amazon, Google, uh, Cloudflare, are all uh, uh, signing their routes and dropping invalids. So you, we've arrived today. This is the point of a Nanog talk I gave, uh, I guess, last month in Austin, uh, mm-hmm. in Austin. Was when you look bit for bit of internet traffic. Uh, we've arrived at a point where the majority of traffic is going to destinations that are protected by uh, uh, routes with ROAs on the RPI system. So you've hit so the network that, effect effect by now, basically. I think yeah. so. I think so. And I, that's not, well, actually, if you just count routes, you just count BDB routes, it's not, uh, we're still in the minority. But those routes are pretty important ones. Google pushes a lot of traffic. Uh, they're not the right. most routes in the U.S., 
but they mm-hmm. might they, they, they're one of the biggest uh source of destinations of traffic we're counting flow and, versus number of routes you've you've hit a sort of majority even if the, those other that's, routes that's are the case by, i'm making yeah gotcha. um that gotcha. uh and, and since we've arrived there it, uh that means that um a lot of people have done a lot of work up to this point. And now when you and your company and your network uh, sign your routes, drop them ballots, uh, you get the benefit from all these other people who have done this work uh, up to up to now. Um, and, um, and there's a, it's probably the majority of your traffic is going to uh, uh, routes that are uh, participating in the system. Mm-hmm. And then you can, you can protect yourself by uh, uh, being a part of it as well. Right. Well, especially um, yeah. if, you, if you're saying that the, the the major content and and presumably I would guess by that you know CSPs hyperscalers are participating, right? That's that's the majority of enterprise internet traffic is getting to a first mile you know cloud provider of some sort. Um, so if, if you if you have buy in from the likes of Google's, for example, that's that's a huge right. portion on, of, of internet traffic on, for enterprises. You know. And on the on the flip side, the major eyeball networks of the U.S., so Comcast and Spectrum, uh, these guys as well, uh, again account for a huge amount of the traffic in the United States uh, instead right. of the U.S. centric conversation. But something similar is happening in Europe. Um, uh, so with Comcast and Spectrum, uh, they also uh, are signing all their routes, dropping invalids, and um, uh, and so that between the major eyeball networks and the major content providers. Um, uh, if they're all participating in the system, that ends up uh, securing quite a bit of uh, mm-hmm. uh, quite a bit of traffic, and yeah. it also means that when you uh, you as the next company to uh, buy uh, set the stuff up, then uh, you get the benefit. Uh, you get to realize the benefit of that. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah, that's a great point and a great way I think to sort of tie all of this together um, back to our sort of core purpose on this podcast. So. Uh, thank you, Doug. This has been really illuminating for me, it, even as someone who's you know stayed on top of a few of these issues for many years. Like I don't get to I don't get to the, this level of access very often, so I, I much appreciate that. Um, I, I reckon that a lot of yeah, I, I reckon a lot of folks listening probably want to like follow you. How can they do that? Uh, I, I know you have a, a Twitter. Um, how can we find you there? Where else should folks look? Um, yeah, I, I post a lot of stuff on uh, Twitter. I find that to be a useful way to engage with uh, the internet community. Um, uh, I guess you can find me on LinkedIn as well. A lot of times I'm putting the same things that I'm putting on uh, Twitter and uh, LinkedIn. Um, otherwise, I'm uh, yeah, I'm involved in the Nanog uh, community as well. I'm right. actually uh, uh, at one of those conferences. So mm-hmm. if you are too, feel free to uh, stop me in the hall. But otherwise, uh, yeah, I'm Probably Twitter's the best way to uh, follow the stuff I'm putting out. Yeah, excellent. I I always joke that as my our marketing manager um, really wants me to start a Twitter handle and one day kicking and screaming I might. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a. I'm sure in the telecom world it's different, but you know, sort of or just like you know, normal people stuff. I've I've always found it to be uh, not where I want to be. But I, <laughs> I mean, personally, professional. I'm not. I'm not really a social media person. I don't think of myself. Yeah. I'm, I've never. I've never had a Facebook account. I'm, yeah. I'm one of those people that just. It just doesn't. It just doesn't fit with. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't fit with yeah. my uh, personality. Yeah. I, I like to talk directly with my friends and my, I don't want pictures of my kids uh, out on the internet. So yeah. um, uh, that's, uh, but I, I, this is, this has been an effective uh, and positive uh, thing where there's, there's a bunch yeah. of people in the space that uh, like right now I, I posted yesterday a little uh, puzzle is a hijack out of uh, 
either Russia or uh, Turkmenistan. It's it's uh, it's a little unclear. So I kind of called in other mm-hmm. experts that I know. We're kind of uh, collectively working our way through this to try to understand what could possibly be the point of this because uh, it's a mm-hmm. it's a it's a bizarre um, uh, BGP uh, phenomenon. Yeah, well, that's the magic of the internet from 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 the the, the very infrastructure of it up to you know much higher up the stack is that there's there's a, a sort of anarchy of people doing things that they want to do and and that that ends up working out to solve a lot of problems right so it's um, and people it's can kinda, you can watch yeah. uh and uh chime in if they've got some ideas or they can just watch a couple of experts try to uh, uh describe uh work, work through how would how would we figure out what, what what's happening here yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's probably ultimately is a good plug to also say, you know, things like Nanog and, and there's all kinds of other sort of uh, network user groups like popping up there on more, you know, sort of regional state bases in the, in the U.S. and whatnot that worth, you know, I, again, for those folks in the IT infrastructure kind of world that are getting more heavily into what used to be the the sort of um, territory of, of more the ISPs and telcos that they might find interest in participation in those kinds of things, I would think, you know? Yeah, but I guess the last thing I would, I would, I'd be um, remiss to not mention that, um, aside from like Kentex known as a NetFlow company, but you, you mentioned about um, trying to keep tabs on things like we, uh, that is the that is the current push around uh, uh, a lot of the Kentic uh, feature functionality these days is around monitoring BGP stuff. So I knew the Kentic BGP is new to Kentic, and we are uh, there's like new stuff coming out like every every month or so on uh, building out our uh, monitoring and uh, uh, capabilities. I'm involved in in that, and as well as just uh, performance monitoring. Again, put something on the internet, you'd like to know when it goes sideways and why. Um, that's right. something another focus of ours. Um, so the, um, yeah, that's that's the some of the new stuff that we are working on that's related to this conversation. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. Well, yeah, this was really great. Thanks so much. And and um, you know, I hope your uh, sort of uh, current events schedule slows down a little bit over the coming months but uh it would be great to talk again when there's something else going on yeah i would love that excellent thanks doug yep take care see you thanks for listening the WAN manager podcast comes from the team at telegeography it's edited and produced by jane miller and it's hosted by me greg bryan i also wrote the theme song that you're listening to right now To learn more about our data, jump over to telegeography.com. Or if you want to get right into more WAN content like you hear on the show, you can visit telegeography's WAN forum at wanforum.com. We've got all of our podcast episodes over there, WAN manager survey data, and extra analysis pieces. That's all for now. So until next time, WAN enthusiasts.